What up, everybody? Welcome to the X-Cast. Right about now, we want to welcome you to the greatest podcast on earth. Hosted by yours truly, the XSP. I want to hear you say X-Cast. X-Cast. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the XCast with XSP. That's me. What is going on today? We got a great show for you. I got lead singer for the Acoustic Rangers, known as Helen Sosa, in the house. Before we get to that, though, before we get to all that, let me pay some bills, so to speak. You all know me as the XSP. That is the XSP dash extreme street preacher. You can find me on all streaming platforms. You can find me at bandcamp.com under the XSP238.bandcamp.com. You can also, if you love, uh, you know, all different kinds of uh, shows and things like that, or all different kinds of stories, you can look up a Burning Hope podcast on Spotify. That's uh, with my with my brother Renee Torres, a brother from another mother. Also, you can look up uh, Project Restore from Jason Garcia, which is my blood brother, my actual brother, and uh, that's going to be on uh, Spotify as well. Also, let's say you think, man, you know that guy XSP PJ, man, he's a good guy. Might want to donate a little bit to what he's doing. You can do that. You can do that at on PayPal at uh, DemonSlayerXSP at Yahoo.com. So without further ado, though, no real news other than I got one more song to record still on my Hell's Most Wanted album, which I'm hoping to be out either August or September, depending on when the collaborations come back, all the features come back. Um, other than that, though, Keep it steady, keep it moving. God, getting, keep doing this music thing, keep doing the podcast thing. You know what I mean? You can also find, I forgot to mention, the XCast with XSP on Spotify, and I'll be putting up older uh, things that I've done. I've been doing this podcast thing for a long time. It just continues to evolve. You know, I've been doing this for, probably for about six, seven years, something like that. So. On different on different platform now it's available through the visual format um, and it's going well. Got a lot of guests. Uh, got some guests lined up um, in the future. So with all that out of the way, all that information, let's get to the real stuff. Let's get to why you're here because the guests, right? We're here because the guests. I get my guest, like I said, is Alan Sosa, lead singer of the Acoustic Rangers, educator. And wrestling fanatic, so all those things, also part of our Beyond the Desk series. Um, so, without further ado, let's get to that. Mr. Soso, what's going on? What's up, my friend? How you doing, man? Welcome to the Xcast with XSP. I'm glad uh, that you had the time to uh, come on the show. I was just hyping it up. You're an educator. You're a wrestling fanatic. Lead singer for a band. You have all these different things about you. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing well, my friend. I can't complain. I can't complain. Today's my birthday, so, you know, I'm oh, blessed. Oh, Happy birthday. Thank you, brother. Wow. I appreciate it. That's wild. Wow. Happy birthday. Um, Thank you. Cool, man. So I always tell people about the, when, when they're on this show, we're not going to talk about COVID-19 or another dumb junk going on um, out in the world. We just want to keep it entertaining. We want to keep it, uh, you know, positive. And, um, but before we get into all these different things that, that we want to talk about, have you ever seen anything that you couldn't explain, like lights in the sky, Bigfoot, paranormal phenomena, anything in your life, all throughout your life? Tell us about it. Yeah, man. Well, growing up, I grew up, I was born in Austin and grew up, uh, the house I grew up in was next door to my grandparents' house. And they, my great-great-grandfather, no, hold on. Yeah, great great-great-grandfather built it, I think that's right, in 1910, 1902, somewhere around there. Anyhow, 
growing up, we would always see weird stuff going on over there. You know, there would be doors slamming and, you know, like just strange sounds, you know. And so uh, one of the last things that my parents ended up selling that property, one of the last things we did after my, my grandfather passed away in 1996 we took a video we were going to go video inside the house me and my mom so we took an old school you know camcorder in there and set it up and let it run for about an hour and it was around march it was cool outside we went in that house it was so hot like it was just like oppressively hot there was like no oxygen feeling it was just i mean like intense so we go grab the camera trying to get out of the house. Well, the door, you know, we had a padlock on the door. It wouldn't lock, right? It's like, it's just stuck. And so, you know, I'm like, my mom's like, I can't get it. I can't lock it. can't get it. Well, I'm looking in the house and there's like this, I don't know how to explain it. Just this big, like gray looking, like, I don't know, cloud thing moving towards the door. So I'm getting tripped out now. And I was, I was 20, I guess at the time. And uh, I knock my mom out of the way and grab the lock and like slam it as best I can. And it finally locks. And so anyhow, we go put this video on and the craziest thing, you just heard like whispering kind of noises and like it was all in Spanish, you know, and it was real fast. And then I heard like it was in Latin because I took Latin, like my sixth grade year, we had to take a, a like nine weeks of it at my at middle school. So I could understand it a little bit, but it was so fast that you couldn't really like grasp what it was saying. And like sometimes you would see these little like points of light pop up and then they would be gone. Camera would go in and out of focus for whatever reason. And so I don't know, you know, I, I back then I thought, ooh, this must be ghosts or something. But, you know, as I've gotten older, I've, you know, come to believe it's something else. But uh Definitely different and definitely you know, stuff that, you know, was unexplainable really then other than, you know, thinking it was, you know, some kind of ghost thing or whatnot. But, uh, but yeah, I had a, I have tons of stories from back then. Uh, Me often, and my brother could how, how often would that kind of stuff happen in, in, the, in those houses or in the house? <sighs> yeah, it just, I mean, it was pretty regular. I mean, like, you know, we had to live there because my the house that I first was lived at growing I was up to eight and ended up catching on fire and it kind of we had to rebuild the house and we lived there for about six months and you would just kind of have this feeling sometime it, it wasn't all the time but sometimes this feeling of like kind of like oppression maybe <laughs> like it's hard to explain like you would just have this kind of sense of fear that would take over you and you know you'd be sitting there and all of a sudden the door would just slam shut you know as hard as possible and one of the, like i always tell this story and it's always kind of it's slightly embarrassing but i was eight years old i was using the restroom facilities and i'm sitting there and i'm getting this feeling you know of like dread kind of and and all of a sudden these like there was an entrance to to get into the restroom and a doorway and so all of a sudden these like three big like suitcases like just throw themselves to block the entrance well i freaked out and i ran i jumped over these suitcases fell my grandma was she had a she would lock the bathroom from the from the outside so you couldn't get out so i'm sitting there like banging on this door and i'm getting ready i was eight but i was a big dude i was getting ready just to smash through this wooden door as so I wanted to get out of that room. And that was, you know, I was like screaming and yelling and my grandpa comes in there and he has a rifle and I mean, he's ready to like throw down and, and it was, it was just the suit, the suitcase is just thrown over. So, I mean, it was, it was pretty regular. He would wake up and he would have scratches on his back and stuff. And, you know, they would start praying and they would go away. Um, but I mean, it was, it was a pretty regular thing that stuff would happen, go on around there. You would just feel like a sense of, you know, being watched or like, uh, it's just really hard to, to kind of explain. And so, but, but we have, you know, like, like I said, I have a ton of stories of <laughs> stuff that happened over there. It was so does crazy. That, does, does that, did that carry over into your adult life or was that just kind of something you experienced as a, as a kid? Uh, you know, 
not really. I kind of, I mean, so, you know, here's the thing. Like I, I was saved at, um, when I was 22. And, uh, so I kind of stopped really kind of like opening myself up to those type of things. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know what they are. I don't know if I don't, I don't, I won't say that they're ghosts. I, I won't, you know, I don't know what it was, you know, but I know that, that, uh, you know, from what I've come to believe and what I've come to study that the devil uses all kinds of things to distract you. And, uh, I think those are kind of demonic things and I don't kind of, I don't try to open myself up to those things anymore. You know, I do find that if I do watch a movie like that or whatnot, I kind of feel myself opening to those things. And, you know, if I'm out and about, I, I kind of have that sense at times of like something's just not right. And so I kind of start praying and thinking about, you know, good things. <laughs> so, you know, heavenly things and not those type of things. So I, I don't know. You know, I wish sometimes I want to go because they, they knocked my house down that I grew up at and they knocked my grandparents' house down and they had a little house that they had built. My grandfather built in the back and I kind of want to go there sometimes. And as they built these giant, you know, McMansion things on them and ask them like, is anything weird ever happened here? You know, <laughs> you can see like if, if that still carries on or, you know, since they've built on, built over that stuff is, you know, is it done? I know that, the area I grew up at around Austin back in the mid 1800s, it was a graveyard area. And so my grandfather had found like some tombstones out in the back of his, of his yard, you know, he would be digging out there for a garden and stuff. So I don't know, but as an adult, I've, I've not witnessed that. I, I, I will share. And I know I'm talking a lot. <laughs> it's all right. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. Go ahead. <laughs> I do have a good friend of mine that lives in Austin. And one day we were over there. I went over there and I felt like as soon as I opened that door, I felt like a, you know, that kind of oppressed feeling again. And, and I was just standing there talking with her and, and all of a sudden I was like, I, I was like, I'm sorry. I was like, I was like, do you mind if I pray? And she's like, why? I was like, I just really feel like it's not a nice, you know, it's just something not good here. Something not, it's just bad feeling. She's like, you feel that? I said, yeah. She's like, okay, I thought I was crazy because I've been feeling the same thing, but I don't think it's bad. I'm like, mm, it's not liking whatever. So, you know, like I started praying out loud and all of a sudden, like two of her doors just slammed shut, one in the bed bathroom and the one in her in the bedroom. And I, we were in the kitchen, like I was helping her, you know, take cabinets out and stuff. And, and I mean, <laughs> it was like that. And I was like, I got to get out. I got to go for a walk or get some air because it was just, it was pretty intense. But uh, that's really the only thing as an adult, you know, and I've stayed over there at times and I've experienced, you know, kind of those things again. Um, and so it's just kind of, it's just interesting. Like most of the time though, I don't, I don't, uh, Which I don't have. It makes sense because it looks like you have a biblical worldview and, um, would you mind sharing your your how you got saved? I mean, I, I like I love to to hear the stories of how people's lives were changed. It looked like you had a big change in your life. Can you yeah tell us a little bit of what led up to your salvation and and uh, yeah. the, the events that, that that happened around that time? Yeah, man. Well, like I said, it was uh I was twenty two. I had uh I kind of went through my teenage years, kind of separating myself from God. I lost my, my grandma when I was in the, I was 14. I was a freshman in high school. And at the same time, my dad got into a really bad uh, wreck. He worked with Loomis Armored in Austin. It was ended up becoming disabled. And at the time I just kind of thought, well, if God is such a loving God, like he wouldn't let this happen. He wouldn't have taken my grandma. She helped raise me, you know, you know, she's a Mexicana, you know, so she was, you know, always there and, you know, and, and I kind of stepped away. I didn't really believe in God. Now I kind of, you know, curse him and whatnot. And so I went through my teen years. Around 19, a friend of mine from high school died in a car wreck. And so it kind of shook me up a little bit. And then about a week later, 
you know, I had a Camaro at the time because I thought I was, you know, big shot. And so I was racing it and I had two of my friends with me and, you know, we're racing and all of a sudden like this truck kind of boxes me in and I can't go past him. And I'm coming up to like a, an, a gas truck, you know, an 18 wheeler. And at the last moment I was able to slam on the brakes and then like do a donut in the middle of 290 in Austin. And like I just drove, I remember driving to Jim's restaurant in Oak Hill and I sat there for a little bit and I just thought, as I'm something I had like, you know, I had this like sensation in me of like, you need to stop, you know? And so like, I didn't really understand at the time and I didn't really, I didn't understand like, why didn't we just die right there? Like we should have just died. I mean, cause literally we were like feet from smashing into the back of this gasoline truck and, so I started going to church and I started reading and um, you know, the Bible and then um, others. I still struggled though with everything because I still struggled with, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough to be, you know, Jesus doesn't want me. Like I'm a, you know, a horrible person. You know, I may not be as horrible as other people, you know, but I'm not good enough. <laughs> and so uh, a good buddy of mine, his name was Blake McGee. And I had a friend in, in high school. I had several friends, Sherry Stewart. She was always sharing with me, you know, all the time in high school, like I'm praying for you. God wants a relationship with Jesus wants a relationship with you. And, you know, at the time in high school, I was like, whatever, like, I just want to talk to you because you're a cute girl, you know? <laughs> so, uh, but my friend Blake, um, I worked with him at the store in Austin and he started sharing with me and, uh, he was involved a lot with, uh, with, uh, stuff in Texas state with their, uh, like evangelical stuff that they were doing here. And, but again, you know, I always came to that, but he, we would meet for dinner and he would share with me the gospel and everything. And I would still say, well, that's great, but I'm not good enough. And so he ended up real quick. I just want to make a statement that you have no idea how many people have thought I'm not good enough. And myself included. Um, oh, yeah. you know, I've always, uh, and there were times where I'd throw my middle fingers in the air at God and say, show yourself and things like that. And it's crazy how, you know, we have that attitude of, Hey man, you don't want me cause I'm too, I'm too dirty or I'm too, whatever the case is. And, yeah. uh, it's, it's, it's funny seeing other people having that same kind of, kind of experience, because like I said, I, I've experienced the, the exact same thing right up until I fully surrendered. Um, uh, and it's awesome. Keep, keep telling your story. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, like I said, I can, I can talk and talk. <laughs> so, uh, um, so anyhow, he, 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 we both had a connection with music and he turned me on to the music of, uh, Rich Mullins and, uh, Rich Mullins wrote, you know, awesome God, sing your praise to the Lord and something about his words. I mean, he was very, you know, like, biblical and he would write lyrics and I really started connecting to that you know and kind of you know getting closer and then he gave me the book uh Case for Faith and Case for Christ by Elise Strobel and and Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis so I started reading those books you know and fast forward to it was August uh 24th 2022 yeah, 2000. And um, I just remember driving. I was out driving in the country and I was listening to the music and, you know, like I was crying. I was upset, you know, and just kind of, you know, like I had been kind of, you know, drinking and just leading not a good life. You know, like I wasn't bad and I wasn't like drinking every day or every weekend, but it just wasn't the person I was, you know, and I wanted to be. And, and like, I had this like voice kind of speak to me, like, just stop, just stop running. Just be you, just be the person I want you to be. And I remember pulling off the road off of an, uh, off of 1826 and, and just saying, all right, God, like, you know, like I really don't know everything, but I know that the life I'm leading right now is not the life that you would want. And I give it all to you, you know, 
You know, I know that I'm going to make mistakes and I'm going to fail and I'm going to take two steps forward and then fall back about five more. But I know that you got me no matter what. And no matter all the, you know, any mistakes I make in life, I know that you're always going to be there for me. And I, so, you know, I surrender to you. And so I just remember I pulled out of the car, got out of the car, and I just prayed this, you know, whatever prayer I could think of in my head to, to ask for forgiveness and ask him to be a part of my life. And, uh, and that was it, you know, <laughs> you know, I look at my life, you know, pre that and then post that. And, you know, life isn't easy, you know, and, but, you know, it says in the Bible, it's not going to be, but, but I know through all that time, you know, that's been 20, 24 years now, 23 years that God has always been beside me, no matter what, even during the darkest valleys, he's been there to get me through. And so, you know, like I'm grateful for that. You know, I'm blessed. You know, I, I, I have to not go back and like knock myself and doubt myself and, and, and beat myself up for the mistakes and failures I do, but I need to, I turn those over to God and say, help me, you know, like make me a better man, make me the man that you need me to be, you know, and I, and I never kind of want to lose that, that thought, you know, and, and I've made, you know, stupid mistakes, you know, along the way, but that I know that he's a good father and that he, he is, uh, he's taking care of me and blessed me in ways that, you know, I'm not, you know, the old me would say I'm not deserving of, but the new me in Christ says, thank you, Lord. Like, thank you for giving me those blessings. Man, that's amazing. Uh, so let's transition a little bit into, okay. You have a change of heart. Did that affect your decision on getting into special education or how, what, what was the lead up to, uh, to getting into special education? How long have you been working there, uh, with special education? And uh, did that kind of affect why you, or what, the reason why you got into special education? Yeah, um, well, kind of. I mean, it was, uh, you know, and, and so I had started, I had, like shortly after that, I started teaching at a school in Austin um, it was just a, it was a, I was an after, like kindergarten after school teacher, and, but I worked the whole day at the school. I would just kind of go in and just take care of different rooms. And so finally I was, I was doing, uh, I was a kindergarten assistant. And so we would have special education students, you know, but they were, you know, like either they had Asperger's or autism or they had, or had a hearing impairment. Um, and I loved it. I loved working with kids. I always loved working with with kids growing up, I just, you know, I wanted to help them, you know, and that was, that was just kind of always a thing prior to teaching. I was working at Motorola, so I was making real good money, <laughs> um, but I wasn't fulfilled, you know, in here, like it was just money and, you know, I didn't have any type of fulfillment in that. And so when I started teaching, I found that fulfillment, you know, I found like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. So I worked at the school for, 12 years and you know it was in Austin and the commute back and forth from Austin to San Marcos was, was killing me you know and I started I would pray and pray and about finding a job here at the district in the school district here in San Marcos and so needless to say though like special education students and people and I feel bad for saying this now but I was really scared of those people back you know even as a young Christian and as a kid, like I, they would, they would, they would, they would scare me. They would make me, you know, real anxious and stuff. And I really, you know, you know, at the church I would used to go to, like, I didn't want to greet them. Like I would be like, oh gosh, like, and, and it was, it's bad, but that's just how it was. And so uh, I'm sure you probably grew up along the same lines as a lot of times, a special needs person would be kept in the back room and nobody really messed with them. Or it right. was like, Whoa. Don't mess with them. They're crazy. It yes. was a misunderstanding. Uh, mm -hmm. I know a, yeah. lot of, a lot of, the, uh, when I grew up, uh, a lot of the, the like I had a, a grandpa that would, they would just keep him in the back. I think he had a stroke and they treated him like, like, uh, uh, like he was like, oh, obviously you have different needs after having a stroke, but that's kind of the way that they treated him was like, hey, he's in the back. Don't mess with him. Yeah. You know, whatever. 
And I'm sure you probably come up with that same kind of generation. That, and it does, does do something to you if you're not uh, open to changing your mindset. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, so yeah. So, fast forward this summer, um, going into that, I I had some issues with the school I was at, and kind of started praying about it. And then I I applied for like three jobs here in the district. The one they called me back was for Crossroads with the high school, you know, the eighteen plus, and I didn't really know anything about it. But I I know that when I got the call for the interview, I was like, okay. I went back to my classroom and God, like he spoke to me and it had to be God. He's like, cause every other time I would get an interview, I would tell them at work like, Oh, you know, like I, I need to leave a little early today or I would make up an excuse. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it was for an interview cause I was scared of losing my job. <laughs> so but that day, he's like, if you trust me, you need to tell them the truth of why you're not going to be, you need to be honest. And man, it killed me. I like sat in my room and I was struggling. One of the other like teachers like, are you okay? You look like you're like nervous. I'm like, no, I'm fine. <laughs> so finally I was like, okay. Went and told the director and she's like, I understand, you know, like, you know, I wish you luck. And, you know, you're not going to lose your job if nothing happens. Like it happens, you know, if you, this is something better for you. Go for it. So I went for the interview with uh, Miss Lloyd and Miss Rose and Miss Emma and, and uh, they kind of told me what I would be doing and whatnot. I was like, yeah, you know, we had the interview and it was good. And the next day I got the call saying, hey, you're with us. And so I knew that that I had to be honest with God and honest with everybody else. And I knew that he was going to teach me, you know, because I think sometimes God uses situations like that. Like, oh, okay, you don't like these people or you don't like them. I'm going to teach you to love them and I'm going to show you how it is to love somebody. If you, if you following like me, I never turn people away. I'm going to teach you. And that was kind of how it is. You know, like I, I started and I was kind of like lost at first, but I had a lot of help. You know, I had a lot of people that would be encouraging me and, and ultimately, you know, I learned to love those kids, you know, that first group of kids, man, like, I still talk with with, uh, with some of them here on, on on Facebook, you know, and I'll see them out in public and whatnot, and we, you know, hug it up or, you know, handshake or whatever. And, um, you know, I, I learned how to love and, and have empathy and realize that they're just like me. They're no different than I am. You know, that we all have limitations in this world where nobody's perfect. And, you know, whether it's a limitation of, you know, moving or walking or, or thinking or speaking, we all have limitations in this world. And so how am I to judge them when I have my own issues? And so that's kind of how I got to be like that, you know, there. And so I've been, I've been doing special education now for since 2012. So this will be going on eight years working. And so, but it's, you know, I, I've been, it's been great. Even the hard times and the challenges, they teach you things. And, and you know, like, <laughs> there's always ways to get better and ways to do things. But more than anything, you know, like I tell, you know, the people I work with or people that I, I talk to, I'll tell them about my day. And they're like, oh my gosh, like, how do you deal with that? How am I, I couldn't do that. Oh, and I'm like, well, like, I have kids. And at the end of the day, even if my kids learned nothing that day, as long as they were loved and they were taken care of, that's what it matters to me. And that's what I kind of think about with my kids at good night. Like, even if we can't get through any type of like worksheet or learning, I love those kids and I took care of them. I made sure they were safe. And, you know, that's all you can ask for as a parent or as a, as an educator, you know? Yeah. Sometimes, uh, you know, you do go throughout the day like, what did I even teach these kids? What went across? I know that, um, you know, there's those challenges that are they even receiving anything? Because right. uh, sometimes they don't, they don't, sometimes maybe they're, they're not able to speak what they, they learn or depending on which ones you have. I have a, a little more uh, higher functioning kids. And sometimes even then you're like, are you receiving anything? Like, did I even teach you anything today? 
But yeah. you know that you gave them a handshake, you played a game with them, they smiled, and sometimes that's all you can even ask for because yep. they're having their own issues in their head. They're having their own issues back at home or whatever the case is. Um, yeah. I know the first day that I went in, I think in my mind, I'm like, man, this is going to be a circus. Uh, it's going to be, uh, you know, all kinds of wild. So what was the first day like? And I know you work with uh, Cross. Was there a little bit more, uh, maybe a little higher functioning? But were there, were there some challenges that first day uh, in Crossroads? Tell us a little bit about some of the difficulties that you ran into. Yeah, well, you know, like I, we had, I remember, you know, the trainings leading up to the first day, and I was primarily going to be taking care of one student who was, you know, had, you know, his autism was severe. He was nonverbal. You know, he would get angry, would grab your, you know, collar. You had to watch out because he would grab your lanyard. You know, he said he would pull hair, so I had to make sure I got my hair cut short so there was not much to grab. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we had cares from Texas State come in and they sat with me and like, you know, gave me like paperwork <laughs> to like, you know, read and things I should do and whatnot. And here's his iPad. These are the things you're going to work. It was just a lot of information. And, you know, and you, in your head, you're trying to make sure like, okay, <laughs> I got to do this. I can't say this. I got to make do this, you know, and all these things. And, and so it was, you know, like, I knew how to love on kids and to, and to help them. But at the, you know, at the time, no amount of training is going to help you like be in that moment of like, okay, there he goes. He got you. He's crapping you. Like yeah, it's, it's always, you, you learn the text textbook situation. But when that thing happens, it's a whole different ball game. That's right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So yeah. So it was just kind of like, okay, don't make a big reaction. Like, just take his fingers off, you know, or whatever. He got your lanyard. Like, just walk his fingers off. Don't make a big deal. Don't do nothing. And so that was kind of the hard thing, you know, because, you know, like, where I came from when I was dealing, when I was working with, you know, kindergartner kids, you know, age kids or preschool, like, you have an advantage to like, you know, like, Hey, you know, come on. I told you not to be doing that. You know, that's really, you know, you're not making nice choices with your whatever to like, you know, looking just flat faced and like <laughs> kid has me like by the neck, like what was going to happen? Um, so yeah, it was just challenges like that. Luckily though, you know, the ladies I worked with were super helpful and they poured so much into me to, to, uh, to help me and to realize you're not making mistakes. You're fine. You're good. Um, and so that's the, you know, that's the one great thing about, you know, like, you know, either working with crossroads or, you know, being, you know, you know, knowing the people that, you know, we worked with and with Miss Loveless and Ms. Voight and, you know, even if they weren't a part of us, they were still around us. So I still felt comfortable to say, Hey, like, this is going on. Like, what do you think? Oh yeah, just do this and it would be, it'll, it'll solve everything. And sometimes it did. And sometimes it was like, that didn't work for me. <laughs> well, shout out real quick to, to, to Amy Loveless and Shannon Voigt. They are the ones that hired me and I'm forever grateful because it was at a time when man I had no job for about eight months and, and things were starting to get rough. Uh, and, uh, so they, they offered me uh, the, the job, the position. I, I grabbed on real quick. So shout out to them real quick. Uh, they're yeah. the, uh, the OGs, of, in my mind, of uh, special education. Um, anyway. Uh, all right. Yeah, so, definitely. So, um, all right, so you're, you're kind of having a change of part. And I know that things are, are get difficult at times. It's almost like you have to, you master the art of being calm while all hell is breaking loose in uh in um in uh in the in the area is was there ever a time where you thought man this just is not for me did you ever have a day or a situation where you were just like man i'm done uh and what brought you back yeah you know i, I think like anybody i think like any of us you know like we you know we listen to things that kind of like you know, you're not good enough for this job. You know, what are you doing here? You're not worth it. You know, like you're just, you're failing. You know, there was so many times, you know, during that first year, even now, you know, even this past year where you're like, you know, you get 
cussed out or whatever, and you're like, or punched up or whatever, you're like, is this really worth my time? Like, am I, am I even doing anything? Um, but what I try to do is I, I, I pray a lot during the day, you know, in my head constantly, I'm praying for myself to not, you know, get to, you know, I like to stay in the middle. I don't like to be too high or too low. And sometimes that may come across as like, well, I guess he just is not too excited. He's just kind of like there. But for me, that's the most important thing because if a kid is, you know, having a hard day and, and I don't know what they're dealing with. I don't know, you know, like I'm going to say just from experience that their home life was probably terrible. You know, it's hard. And so I have to really kind of think about that in my thoughts is that I don't know where they're coming from. I can have an idea in my head and, you know, even if they have the perfect home life at home, their parents are tired and they struggle with it. And it's every day, 24 seven for those people. And so I just try to have empathy, constantly thoughts of empathy um, for those students. But yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there's countless times where I think, you know, at the end of the day, I'll just walk out and think, is this worth it? But then, you know, like, like you think about the good days, uh, the good times, or even like if we had a moment of like, like um, I have a student, you know, and I won't get into particulars, but I have a student who loves to <laughs> yell at me, cuss at me, punch me, call me all kinds of names. And one day he was just having a, I mean, he was having a pretty rough day and it was towards the end, you know, before we went, before the year ended and he got sick. And so like I was taking care of him and, you know, he's still, you know, like cussing at me or whatnot. And so I was like, Hey, let's go. We're going to go to the nurse, man. We're going to go sit in there. And so we're sitting in there. And so I go in this room and I'm sitting in the nurse's office and he's like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So, so I said, it's okay, buddy. Like, it's all right. I'm sorry. I cussed at you. I'm sorry. I called you fat. Sorry. I called you stupid. I was like, it's all right, man. He's like, I love you. I was like, I love you too, but can I give you a hug? I'm like, okay, you're kind of sick, but okay. <laughs> so it's little things like that, you know, you kind of hold on to so that when you do have those tough days and those yeah. rough days where like, I'm out, you can hold on to and remember, that's why I'm here. You know, it's not, it may not be, we may not get to learn anything or we may not do these things, but for that moment, at least, I gave—I was there for that kid, you know, and I was able to comfort him and love on him and kind of reassure him that it's okay. And, you know, that's, I think a lot of us, if we had that, if we just had one person kind of reassure us throughout the day, it's okay. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> yeah, those moments really carry on. Like you, like my, in just my situation, I've been stabbed, bitten, uh, all kinds of nonsense. And you, you know, you, you think you're like, man, I could be doing something way better with my time. But then there's those moments where it's like you're at a, a, a bowling, you know, for Special Olympics and it's a party and everyone's like, oh, snap. It's like, ah, and everyone just goes off and like, oh, snap. Well, this is where I'm supposed to be. Uh, you <laughs> know, right. those, those moments like that. Like you said, though, uh, you know, you make more money, way more money somewhere else. But in your heart, you wouldn't be like you wouldn't be. Uh, uh, satisfied right you know, no amount of money can satisfy that you're doing something great with your life by you know uh by reaching these lives kid or the kid the the lives of these kids and that they they can look up to you as a uh kind of like as a uh a, a strong tower if you will like hey this guy's gonna be here and i know that i can rely on him and i know that uh, uh that i can kind of come to him when i have an issue or whatever the case and that's the that's most right. gratifying thing in the uh uh, as far as working with, with uh, youth is that they know that you're there for them and that uh, they can kind of, you can, they can take a chance on you and, uh, and you'll be there and you won't be like everybody else in their life probably that just kind of, you know, washes them away or whatever the case. And yeah, uh, I'm sure yeah. you probably feel the same way. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. That's the, I had a kid I, at Crossroads once and he was out, in the, you know, on our, the, between the portables there, because we used to be by the, the Centro Cultural Center, and 
and the he's out there like just rapping away and cussing and they have this elderly lady that lived across the street and she comes up and she's like, I'm about to call the police on you and no 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 and he was a you know, a big big dude, big African American kid. I'm like Let's go out there. I'm like, ma'am, I'm sorry. We're all taking it. I'm gonna call the police. I'm like, no, he, he's, he's not. He's not. He's just rapping. He's not meaning anything. So I bring him inside, and I was like, you know, let's calm down. You know, go sit down. You know, like it's gonna be lunchtime soon. And all I hear is this, wham, and one of the other kids comes over. and He's like, Mr. Allen, he put his fist through the wall. <laughs> so I go in there, and huge hole, right? And I'm like, hey, come on over here. You can't be doing that. I can't be doing that. No, you cannot be doing that. I'm going to do it more. I said, no, you're not. You're going to sit down. You're going you're gonna to calm down or we're going to get ready for lunch. And he, all, he just looks at me and he's like, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> so I'm like, so the kid that's like, you know, next to me, that was like my kind of helper buddy. Like he looks big eyed. And so I kind of grabbed this chair to like slowly pull it between me and him. I was like, you're not going to do it. I was like, you're going to sit down. I was like, when Miss Lloyd gets back, we're gonna, I'm going to take you home. Like, you're, gonna, you're done with the day. You need to go home and cool out. I need to go home? Like, yes. And so I wasn't really going to kill you. I said, I know. So like, I'm driving him home, and he's like, I'm sorry. I'm like, I know you're sorry. He's like, tomorrow's a new day. I said, tomorrow is a brand new day, dude. I was like, right now is a new day. I was like, we're not even going to worry about it. Just go home, listen to your music. And tomorrow we're going to get back after it, right? Yes, I love you, Mr. Allen. I love you too, buddy. <laughs> so get back to the portable. And this student of mine, he's like, I was really scared for you. What were you going to do if he tried to attack you? I said, did you see when I pulled the chair between me and him? Yes, I did see that. I said, good. I was like, because <laughs> that was my barrier. Because I had about two seconds to jump to the next room, hopefully <laughs> shut the door real fast. And I was like, you were going to call 911. You know how to dial 911 on your cell phone? Uh, yes, I do. 911. Where's the 11? I said, no, no. 1 1. I was like, we're going to practice it. <laughs> yeah, man. So let's transition a little bit. Um, yeah. You're, you're somewhat of a local legend here. You have your own uh, uh, time slot at, at, uh, at Wake the Dead. You're the lead singer for the Acoustic Rangers win. Uh, well, let's, let's talk about how you, you got your permanent spot there at uh, Wake the Dead, which is a coffee house here in San Marcos. Very well-known, very eccentric. Um, tell us about it. Tell us about your music and uh, some of your gigs, maybe. Uh, yeah. What, how have those been going? Or obviously not, not going anywhere right now in the past <laughs> couple months, but before that, um, you basically had a permanent spot there. Yeah, yeah, d definitely. You know, that's, you know, shout out for Julie Bachman. She's the owner over there and she's always good with locals and, and, you know, giving times to people. And so it kind of was like that, you know, back in 2014, I was kind of, I just lost both of my parents, you know, within six months of each other. And, and I started, um, a friend of mine encouraged me to start writing songs again because I was dealing with a lot of just, you know, stuff, you know, and the kind of depression from that and, you know, and um, started writing some music again. I wrote music, you know, in my early 20s and then I kind of just stopped, you know, it just wasn't that important to me anymore. And and so I started writing music and I got a, my first gig I got playing at the farmer's market. And so played out there. And I started looking for coffee houses and I looked up, I saw Wake the Dead. And so I emailed Julie. She's like, yeah, you know, come on, you know, you, you want to do a, you know, you want to do an hour, you want to do two hours, you want to do three hours. And at the time, you know, like I thought, <laughs> like, how about an hour? <laughs> you know, like at the time, songs that I thought were good enough to play that I'd written, I'd only had like a handful. I thought they were good enough to play in public and the rest were, you know, covers. And so I played and, you know, I was super nervous, super anxious because, you know, like I just never done that. You really, you know, like playing something that I wrote to, you know, like to me, I may think it's good, but like, you know, like, but somebody else may think, oh, that's trash. Like, <laughs> you know, why are you even doing that? You know, and. And it's those same things, those thoughts of doubt, you know, those, that voice that starts saying, you're not good enough to do that. You're, why are you playing? You're horrible. You know, 
you're not that great of a singer. You're not that great of a guitarist, you know, blah, blah, blah. Anyhow, so I started, I played that first gig and then, you know, like, okay, I can, I can do 45 minutes of music, you know, decently. And so started contacting her and playing once a month there. And about a couple of years in, she's like, Hey, you know, like, now I'd like to give you your own night since you're that way. You don't have to worry about contacting me or setting anything up. You know, you've been playing and, uh, would you want to do that? And I was like, well, yeah, like, you know, like if, if you think that, you know, that, you know, I'm good enough for that. <laughs> like, you know, like, yeah, I'd be gracious. Like how about third Thursdays of each month? And I'm like, sure. Like that would be great. You know, like, that was always something that was a dream of mine in my head, you know, growing up when I was a kid, you know, like I got, I was always into music growing up. My dad played in bands in Austin in the late sixties and seventies. And so when I was a baby and a kid, he'd always have his drums set up in the bedroom. And so like, you know, some of my earliest memories of him having his gigantic, you know, 1970s headphones on, and just going to town on his Ludwig kit. And, uh, and so it's music has always been this huge thing in my life. And, and, um, my, well, I mean, this is like, so I went, we're chasing rabbits when I talk. So like my sixth well, grade, uh, here's something to think about. What, um, was there ever any embarrassing moments or moments that, uh, you're just like, man, I'm not going to do this ever again. Uh, <laughs> You know what I mean? Did, did you want to share? Yeah. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know, man. You know, like when I'm, when I'm performing, you know, we're performing up there, you know, like we all sometimes miss a chord. We, I miss a vocal, you know, like it's, it's a lot because I've written so many songs in the last six years now that it's, it's, I can't remember them all. I can't remember all the lines. You know, I, I do good to try to memorize it, but I still have my little, you know, cheat sheets there that I can look down upon and say, oh, yeah. Um, so I, I don't know, you know, like I, to me, you know, when you're in the moment of performing and playing, like if I mess up, trad, you know, like terribly, I just kind of laugh it off, you know. And I'm from my guys, you know, I, my lead guitarist is John Zavala and, you know, he's another – to me, he's a legend of San Marcos. He, you know, he, he was a Marine, you know, a vet, you know, he came back and, you know, I asked him to start playing with me uh, because I needed somebody that was a much better, more accomplished guitarist. And, you know, me and him write songs and I asked uh, buddy Marco Rangel to play bass. And, you know, we all kind of, we play all kinds of different things. And so like, and my friend Jared, uh, he plays percussion. So for me, for them, you know, it's like, it's just feeling, you know, if we can play with feeling and we play with our heart, play with our soul, even if we mess up, it's, you know, who cares? You know, it don't matter. You know, it's done. You know, I've seen, I see videos of some of my, like the dudes I looked up to or the women I look up to and they mess up or they hit a wrong chord or they sing a wrong, you know, something flat or something. And they just kind of laugh it off or like say, you know, no big deal. And to me, if they can do that, then yeah, I surely know, I can do that. I don't know if you've seen uh, uh, these, uh, if you've seen Vince Neil, the, the singer for Motley Crue, mm-hmm. have you seen that, that one where he's just like totally just screaming out his mind, but he's in his mind, hey man, I'm singing to, or he is singing to thousands of people terribly, but hey, yeah. they're doing it. Uh, so right. if they can do that, and uh, you know, guys like that can do that, then why can't we just, you know, if we miss something or whatever on a smaller scale, it doesn't really matter. Like you said, we're yeah. just playing our heart, playing our feelings. If, it, if it's, uh, we, we mess up or whatever the case is, so be it. And we just keep moving forward. I know one of the things I learned um, as uh, being in band, like in, in school, if you mess up, don't make a big deal out of it. You just move on to the next thing. So that's yep. kind of the, the, the thing that I, that I come to learn and, and uh, it always, it always, like, hey, man, I messed up. Or you, know, you tell somebody afterwards and they're like, where? Where did you, where did you mess up at? And I'm like, oh, never mind. I didn't then. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, cool, man. Well, yeah, you know, people will definitely see you. I know that you've done things with me as far as like charity stuff. And 
uh, it seems like that's where your heart is as well. Like kind of just using that as a way to get to get a message out. It seems like. Um, do you play for your church or anything like that? Um, yeah, I've played. Uh, I've played uh, guitar and and bass and some drums uh, for the church I'm goes going. I'm going to, and so it's it's fun, you know. Like it's guitar is always going to be my primary instrument, but I started picking up the bass about 10 years ago and you know i'm not i can play the roots and i can kind of do a little bit of things on that but <laughs> i'm not a bass player i'm a guitarist trying to be a bass player <laughs> so um drums same thing you know like i learned a lot from my dad and just you know like i can play some things but if it gets super complicated like hey i need you to do all this fill stuff you know and like i can get kind of lost if it's <laughs> It's too much, but you know, it's a, a, I kind of have to take, take the same. I'm trying to play the best I can for the Lord at that moment. And, you know, like he's going to forgive me if I miss a note or if I don't hit the drum fill right, or if I make it slightly off time, he's okay with it. <laughs> so, you know, there's grace. So, but it's, it's a blessing. <laughs> Cool, man. Now, I know that you're a wrestling fan. What do you think of the current state of uh, – I know we just kind of transitioned real quick, but uh, I know that you're a wrestling fan. Uh, what do you think of the current state of wrestling, and what got you into wrestling in the first place? Yeah, um, you know, it's it's funny. I um, It's been rough, you know, watching, um, you know, watching the matches right now with no crowd. Like, it's it kind of is slightly disconcerting, but, you know, like – there's been some, they've done some really interesting things with, uh, at least WWE. I haven't, I haven't been able to watch. I've seen a little bit of the AEW stuff on YouTube. Um, but, um, you know, I, I thought it, at, a uh, WrestleMania 36, that Boneyard match with the Undertaker. I thought that was one of the greatest matches I've ever seen. You know, like it was just so different and just really, you know, like, it was just awesome. You know, like I was like, I felt like I did back when I was like, you know, a kid, you know, when you would see these matches, you would be like, Oh wow. You know, like I was super excited, pumped. Right. And then the, you see like, what's going to happen next. I know, you know? <laughs> so like, yeah. Like the firefly Funhouse match with, uh, Cena and, and, uh, and, uh, the fiend, like, I just thought that was just, you know, like at the time I was like, man, I don't know how that sits with me. Like, that's weird. But then afterwards, you know, watching it again, and I watched it like five or six times, and I thought, man, this is like, this is next level, like <laughs> you know, like how it's taking everything and breaking everything down, and um, so I like, I liked it, and and I've only come back into wrestling in the last like couple of years. I, I didn't watch it from like the early two thousands up till two thousand eighteen, and so like I ended up. <laughs> subscribing to the WWE network. And, and at the time I felt like, man, what am I doing? Like it's wrestling, you know, like, oh. but like I said, it, it kind of, it, I'll watch it. And it brings back that love of when I was a kid, I first got into wrestling. My dad used to take me to wrestling matches at the old city Coliseum in Austin back when I was three or four. So I would see, you know, I, I remember seeing King Kong Bundy, uh, the bushwhackers I had, one of the bushwhackers grabbed me by the head and like licked my head when I was like four years old. And I still remember that because I still remember like this dude was so greasy and oily. <laughs> but, you know, Junkyard Dog, I saw that, you know, like I saw these guys and, and, but I think, you know, and I loved going, but I think it was when I saw Hulk Hogan. Like he was like, when I was a little boy, like I thought, man that's a dude right there, <laughs> you know, that, that, that yeah, I'm a real American. Kind of comic book physique. Yeah. That yeah. Uh, larger than life character. Yeah. And so that's when I, you know, really got into watching and we wouldn't miss, you know, you know, any of the wrestling Saturday night main event or, you know, Monday night stuff. And then when WCW and NWA and, and, uh, um, I remember I got to meet, um, uh, Kerry Von Erich, one day he was at this, uh, he was paying a bill in Austin with this electric company and we were sitting in there and 
and I'm no, I know who it is because I think I was like seven or eight and I, you know, like, and he's over there and like, he starts, my little sister was like one maybe and he starts playing with her and, and, uh, you know, he introduces himself to my mom and I'm, you know, I'm like, Oh my gosh, she doesn't know this. Carrie Von Eric. Come on. Like it's a Von Eric, you know, and he introduces himself to me and, you know, like just the nicest guy, you know, like nicest man. And, sat and talked with me about wrestling for a little while and played with my, my little sister and whatnot. And, you know, like, uh, they were just, he was a good dude, you know? And so like, um, growing up, you know, like I just loved watching the stuff. It just, you know, you just get lost in it and, you know, through the, you know, the, the attitude era, like my stone cold was my, that was my dude or the rock. Like both of those guys I thought were, epic performers in the ring, you know, showmen, like they just gave it every time. And so like I was sitting with my son one day cause they don't, you know, my daughter's like, dad, it's like so proper. Like that's, you can't ever comment about anything I watch cause you're watching wrestling. And that's like, I'm like, Oh, watch, let's see, look at this. <laughs> and so they'll sit there with me and watch for a little while. And they're like, Oh, that's cool. You know, and, you know, it was funny though. One day I was watching an old episode, you know, with the rock and, and my, my daughter's like, is that the rock? I was like, yeah, I thought he's an actor. I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> like he was a wrestler first, you know? So, but, uh, but yeah, you know, I think where things are, I love the women wrestlers, you know, you know, like they are much more physical and that, you know, they put it out there, you know, like it's intense, you know, watching, some of the stuff that they do. So, you know, I have mad respect for them because, man, it wasn't like that when we were kids, you know, like, they, uh, yeah, I was going to say it, uh, uh, they seem to sometimes have better matches than the guys. Uh, like every raw, it seems like, like yeah. I, I watched it, uh, was it two nights ago? And I was like, man, this, this there was a Nia Jackson and, uh, Natalia and, and Charlotte Flair, I think. And um, yeah. I was like, man, this is a great match. And I watched the guys match. I'm like, what are they doing? Like, <laughs> you guys need to up their game or something. Yeah, or the women right. just elevated to that. That uh, You know, they, they've obviously elevated um, their game up since, like, maybe five years ago or something like that. And, yeah, uh, yeah there's definitely more opportunity for them. So, man, it's always been a uh, family thing. You know, like, like yourself, uh, it's always been where we all gather around. And it's – I remember in the 90s we, where when we were kids um, – you know, my, my parents would always get the, the pay-per-views. It was on Sundays, and all my family would come over. It'd be like a whole gathering and party. Yeah, um, yeah, man. It's a uh, uh, people don't don't understand the uh, the quality of that. The that it brings people together, and you can cheer for who you want to cheer for, or boo who you want to boo for, and it's just a time to to be excited. And I don't know, man. It's 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 a, it's an awesome thing for me, and 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 that's some of the things that even my uh, my daughter comes with. Oh, I don't like this guy. Oh, well, no, this guy's gonna blah, blah. And just, you just kind of get into this little, you know, playful uh, uh, arguments or whatever. But yeah, man, wrestling has been always been there. It seems like cool, yeah, man. The, um, yeah. Is there any anything that uh, any matches that that you can say that you like totally locked you in? Uh, maybe since the uh, one that you like, man, I just can't, I can't, uh, I can't forget that match or anything like that that you can that you can say. Yeah, you know, like, I think, like, a lot of people, you know, like, Hulk versus Andre, the giant, was, was that WrestleMania 5? I think that might be WrestleMania 3. 3, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, that match, like, I remember, like, you know, like, I, I don't know how old I was, probably 10 or 11, maybe, but, like, you just being so, like, oh, my gosh, like, it's Andre, you know, so, like, you know, when he slams him, you know, it's like, whoa you know like it was just one of those moments of like man because you know like i said i you know as a kid like hulk hogan was like the dude um but you know like stone cold's uh match with uh with uh bret hart you know like that's just such an epic man you know like the the was it wrestlemania as well um i can't remember but where he you know he's all bloodied you know and it's you know he has him in the 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 sharpshooters, you know, it's just such a, you know, like, you know, those dudes have like 
put everything out there, you know, like they, you know, like they battered. It was funny, you know, like, uh, um, I guess, um, I think it was last year, maybe, maybe it was early this year. I don't know. This like lockdown or quarantine stuff has got my brain all skewed with dates. But I remember uh, seeing Stone Cold come. I think it was maybe Raw, like something or other. Anyhow, you know, he just wanted to thank all the fans, you know, and said, like, these guys have bled, these girls have bled, and they've, you know, we've cried, and we've you've done, we've done everything, and it's all for y'all, you know, it's all for you. And, you know, like, that, that kind of, you know, like, it's <laughs> a grown man, that kind of choked me up, you know, because, you know, those, they put it out there nightly. You know, and, you know, I'm sure they suffer all kinds of different, you know, maladies and stuff and pains and stuff. And, and yeah, it's not, you know, real, but it is real. Like, you know, like I sit there and watch them like, yeah, I couldn't take that hit, <laughs> like, you know, or like if they slapped me like that, I'd be in a corner in the fetal position crying. <laughs> and so, you know, like, but at least those, those couple of matches, you know, like, like they just put out, I've been watching um, that The Undertaker last ride on WWE, and man, like that dude is, you know, I have people that I know that have met him because he lives out there in Lakeway, and they say just the nicest dude, you know, he'll sit there and, you know, you can, he'll talk to you, you know, if he has a little bit of time, and he'll, you know, you can ask him about whatever match, you know, and, you know, and then he'll thank you for watching, you know, and, you know, and give you a handshake and whatnot until he appreciates you. And, you know, I think that's just how, you know, maybe not all of them are like, but, but, uh, I think they have a genuine love for the people that watch, you know, and, and, and so, you know, that's what I always think about when I watch, but those two matches in particular for me are ones that are like, you know, epic in my head, you know, my favorite matches. I don't know about you, but when I go into work, I kind of take that mindset, um, <laughs> You know, it doesn't matter what I'm going through. I need to finish the match, kind of, so to speak. You know, I think about guys like like Mick Foley getting thrown off the cage and, and uh, you know, getting back up and finishing the job. Uh, you know, a lot of times when I go into work, I think about it like that. And which is funny because it's a totally different right. arena. But right. that, in my mind, that's, that's my mindset. And also even like, um, you know, I've heard guys say, it doesn't matter where you are on the card just do your best right where you're at. And that's kind of the same thing, the, the idea I take into work as well. And in other areas of life too, doesn't matter where I'm at, I need to do the best, whether I'm on the, whether I'm first on the card, whether I'm the main event, doesn't matter. And I take, I, well, I do a lot of the, you know, different shows and whether I start the show, whether I'm in the middle or whatever the case, just do the absolute best that I can. That's one of the things I learned from, from wrestling is, yeah. uh, you know, doesn't matter where you are, on you know in your job or whatever just do the best uh, you know because somebody's going to see it that's kind of where, where i do it yeah definitely definitely yeah we had a student this past this year and he'll be with us one more year and like that was kind of our connection was wrestling and so because one day i had like i was wearing an undershirt and i just grabbed a shirt but it was a rock undershirt and he's like what are you wearing and i was like oh it's a rock shirt he's like you like wrestling i was like yeah I like wrestling. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah. He's like, who's your favorite? So we just got into this conversation. So every you know Monday we would sit there in the morning and he would tell you, you watch SmackDown on Friday. I'm like, yeah, I watched it. It was pretty cool, you know. Like, so it was cool. But yeah, every once you know we would sit there and he'd want to talk about wrestling or same thing, you know, like who's your favorite wrestler? What was your favorite match? And so, but it was not you know the same type of thing. You know, you you're right. You know, you just think you got to do your best, perform your best, do your best work. And at the end of the day, if you can leave work and you know that you laid it all out there on the line and you, and, and again, it doesn't matter if, even if they didn't learn anything, but you loved on those kids and you took care of them and you protected them and you knew that, that they know that, that you're real and you were authentic in what you were doing. That's all that matters, you know, no matter what. Yeah, man. Well, that's all that I, I have for you, all the questions I have. Is there a place where people can see your music, uh, any kind of social links or whatever the case is? Go ahead and shout them out. Yeah, man. yeah well, I tried, we've been trying to do, you know, I've tried to do at least, you know, once a month on my Facebook page. I, it's Alan Sosa. 
Um, I have a, a, we have a band page called Alan Sosa music. Um, so we post our songs there, any songs that we've written, they'll be posted there. Um, we're still trying to play once a month together. You know, we've gotten, we've gotten together once since, um, we've been shut down and played a little set and whatnot, but that's usually where, where you can find my stuff. I have a SoundCloud page called Alan, Alan Sosa. <laughs> so easy, easy enough. And so, uh, but yeah, that's, uh, that's what we do. You know, that's what we're doing. And, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll be back playing wake the dead soon and, you know, can get back at it again and go from there. If you ever need a supporting act, I'm more than available. Hey, man, I'm I'm ready to guest or have you guest on one of my tracks. I'm I'm trying to figure out like uh, how I can fit you, how we can do some kind of collaboration. I think it'd be awesome. I can do everything. Well, at yeah. least I, I'd like to think I can do everything. I try to. Hey, you, you know, awesome. I grew up in the same area. I know we didn't even get into it, but you know, Beatles, Elvis, Johnny Cash. We kind of come from the, the same kind of roots. So yeah, man. You know, I could try. Actually, I was listening to some uh, Elvis last night. Uh, me and my wife were talking about the movies from the '60s. So mm-hmm. you know, I didn't I didn't realize that my wife was a fan of all those movies, and so am I. So kind of use connect cool. on that, and then you kind of re re uh, reignites that love for the music. But that's um, right. But uh, you know, man, I appreciate you taking time out, uh, out of your day. I know both of us had some things to do today, but I really do appreciate you. I learned a lot about yeah. you. Uh, man, it's awesome. Hopefully other people will learn and, and watch as well. And, uh, you know, uh, I know both of us are, are, are guys that you can approach. And I think it's obvious here the, on this uh, platform that that's the case. Thank you for sharing your testimony. Thank you for sharing your life. Uh, thank you, man. Appreciate it. I'm honored. Thank you for asking me, brother. I appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you for being available. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> well, man, I appreciate you. Awesome. Well, cool.